Amen, brother. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for being with us this morning. As Adam sang, Oh, Holy Night, I started to say, Good night. That was impressive, brother. At this time, we'll dismiss our children to go to children's church. Children, thank you for worshiping through song with us. Go and enjoy your time together as they learn a lesson uh, more suited for their age group. For those of you that are staying in here, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1 as we continue to look at the Christmas story. And this morning, as we look at the actual birth narrative itself, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you will recognize that we have seen Matthew laying out many proofs for us that Jesus is the Messiah. That this birth is not just a normal birth, that this is not just any baby, but this is the Christ, this is the Messiah, this is the chosen Savior of the world. Matthew has shown us that time and time again. He showed us that in Jesus' Jesus's lineage and how it fulfilled such beautiful promises to Abraham and to David and to the, to the rest of Israel through them. We saw how in the lineage we were reminded on a Wednesday night that Jesus brings near those that are far away as we looked at the stories of Rahab and Ruth. And we saw that as well as we looked on Sunday morning at the wise men. People that were far away that you would never expect have come and worshipped Christ because of His coming. We see that uh, God has shown us the, the sign of the star. The wise men saw that and it made it clear that the new king had been born. We see Jesus offering a new exodus to bring us out of slavery to sin. A new return from exile that one day we'll go home with Him. And so we've seen these things over and over. We've seen Jesus born in Bethlehem, fulfilling that prophecy. But, but as we see all of these things surrounding the birth that tell us how special this birth is this morning, I want us to look at the birth itself. And we're really going to center this morning on two names that the Messiah is given in this text. So if you would look with me, I want to read the whole section together at first. So Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, as we begin looking at this text together, I, I forget sometimes, you know, y'all are standing up at certain parts of the service, and until we say, be seated, y'all just keep standing up. And I know that Adam told you to close your eyes, but those of you that still have them closed... Wake if somebody beside you still has their eyes closed, give them a nudge. As we look at a story that, that this is part of my prayer this week, that as familiar as we are with this story, 
that our familiarity doesn't make it less awe-inspiring to us. Right? Because we've heard this time and time again, I pray that you don't this morning say, Oh, I know this one. I know how this goes. I know what takes place here. And you're just already thinking about lunch or your plans for this week. But brothers and sisters, this is the reminder uh, for us here on earth, how this started. This is the birth of Jesus Christ, God himself coming in human flesh to save us from everything that we needed to be saved from. This isn't something to overlook because we've heard it before. You know, it's, it's like those of you that are married. Sometimes when we meet new couples, they'll, they'll ask me and Amanda, Amanda and me, how did y'all meet? And you know, every time I tell that story, I love to tell that story. And I pray that every time that you hear this story, that you love to hear this story. And you just think about how good God is over and over again. So here, right, Joseph is, is in really terms that we'll understand, engaged, betrothed to Mary. And so they're planning to get married. And then he finds out that Mary is expecting and so he doesn't know at this point what's going on here. He doesn't know all of the things that the angel has revealed to Mary at this point. And so, so he is going to be kind to her, and he's just going to divorce her quietly. Not going to make a public spectacle of this whole deal. He's just going to give her divorce papers and, and be done with it. And, and the way it's written, he's made up his mind. He is, he is resolved. He is done with it. This is a done deal. He is going to be Divorced from Mary. But then, as Joseph has made this decision before he actually goes through with the act, we see the angel coming. And really, in the, the delivery of what the angel tells, we see some very important details for our understanding of what this means. So look with me in verse 20 again. It says, But as he, Joseph, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So really, those are the two names we're looking at today. We're going to see, what does it mean to say that the Messiah would be named Jesus? Why, why did that have to be his name? Why is that the name that God didn't leave it up to Mary and Joseph? Hey, pick a name that you want, flip through the phone book, and I know we don't have phone books anymore, but pick a name and that's what you'll name him. Why was it he has to be named Jesus? We'll look at that in just a moment. And also, what does it mean... Why is it so important that Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy of Emmanuel? And so we'll see that. Verse 21 gives us the first one. He's told you, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. So right where you shall, you will. I'm telling you to do this. And then the angel does the hard work of interpretation for us so that we don't have to try and interpret this because we're not familiar with Hebrew None of us, I trust, are. And so the angel says, For he will save his people from their sins. And that's the reason that the Messiah was named Jesus, is because the name itself is descriptive. It's not that obvious to us because we're not Hebrew-speaking people. But if you were, 
you would recognize the association here because the Hebrew word for Jesus, it literally means Yahweh, which is God's personal name. Right? He, he, he reveals that to his people in the Old Testament. He reveals that to Moses. So it says, Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. So if you are Hebrew, when you say Jesus, what you're saying is Yahweh saves. So in the very name itself, it's describing to us not just who Jesus is, but what Jesus has come to do. Jesus himself is God's salvation to us. And, and so it's a very common name in this day and time. He's not the only one named Jesus. You can read through the Bible and find other people named Jesus. But in this instance, it's so much different. Because for the other people named Jesus, their families likely chose that name for their son because they were saying, we, we recognize that this is a promise, that one day God will save us. But whenever this Jesus, whenever Mary and Joseph name this child Jesus, it's not one day God will save us, it's God has now come to save us. And that's the promise of the name Jesus. Not just that God would save them, but how God would save them. Point one this morning is this. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our salvation. There's no other opportunity to be saved. Jesus is the only way to be saved. His name itself says that. This is God's salvation, Yahweh's salvation. And so I pray that we recognize this. Again, Jesus is a name that we're familiar with. It's a name that we say often. But I pray that when you say the name Jesus, that you recognize that what you're saying is really the plan of salvation. God saves through Jesus. That's what the name is conveying to us. And this idea, though, that, that Joseph is being told by an angel... Right, your fiance, who is pregnant, the baby inside of her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Right, she is a virgin, but she is pregnant because God can do miraculous things. And in this miracle, that baby, when that baby is born, his name needs to be Jesus because that child is going to save God's people from their sins. And so this morning, I, I think it's interesting. We have the manger here, and there's, there's a baby in the manger. It's not a real baby, if anybody's worried about that. Uh, but this morning, I, I asked Brother Shane as we were practicing the songs, I said, Brother Shane, do you feel a little bit, just a little bit of extra pressure this morning? Because obviously we're always singing to Jesus, but this morning, it's like we're really singing to Jesus. Um, and he said, no, not so much, not when I look at that baby there, it doesn't really convey the sense and all, right, that we might expect when we picture Jesus, but it's so fascinating because I think that that's a reminder of what other people saw when they saw this child. They said, that, that cannot be God's plan of salvation because forever it seems that the, the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, they had expected that when the Messiah came, everybody would know the Messiah was here, right? This is going to be the great king. The government is going to be on his shoulders. How's the government going to be on the shoulders of that baby in a manger born to a common family? 
Right? How is it that, that we can expect that this is the, the wonderful counselor? This is the mighty God. This is the Prince of Peace. He's just a baby. And so when you look at the Christmas story, it seems so innocent. And it seems like that doesn't seem right. But it's just a reminder that the ways of God confound the ways of men. But in this child, in this baby, we see God's rescue plan, and it's the only rescue plan. If you plan to be rescued from impending doom, it will be through Jesus and through no one else. And so then we ask that question, well, how can that be? How will this baby, right, that's having to be held in his mother's arms and changed by his parents, how will that baby save the world? Well, and we see that as we continue in the text there in verse 23. And in 22, we're told that this will take place to fulfill the prophecy. And then Matthew quotes for us from the prophet Isaiah chapter 7. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in this prophecy, in this name, Right, the first name tells us that this child is God's plan of salvation. The second title, the second name given, tells us how that takes place. How is it that a child could save the world? Because that child is not just a child, that child is also God. And in that, we find one of the things that many people get stuck on, and they get stuck on it so much that they can't move past it. There are people that get stuck on this idea of how can he be fully God and fully human at the same time. And they think that those two things are so irreconcilable that they never come to accept Jesus as who he really is. But what we're told here is that he is exactly that. He is God who came to be with us. So we, we learn this. How is it that that child would bring salvation to everybody? Because this carpenter's son is also a king. And not just a king, he is the king of all kings. This baby that's laying in a manger and wrapped in swaddling cloths, this young man that's going to grow up as part of a blue-collar, normal family, uh, this, this man that's going to lead a band of misfit fishermen and tax collectors and normal guys that didn't make it into grad school and is going to teach them the ways of the truth and explain to them the Scriptures, that man... That child, that baby, is also God Almighty wrapped in human flesh. And that's something that we cannot miss. This one that looks like, if we were alive then, if you're a normal person in Nazareth or Bethlehem and you ran into Jesus, you'd say, well, he looks like I do. He has hair and skin and he walks around and he eats and he sleeps. He looks just like I do. But that man that looks like a man is also the Word who was with God and who was God, John tells us in John chapter 1. He is the one that has always existed. He never has a beginning. Wednesday night, our, our kids, uh, our, our students had a happy birthday Jesus party over at the gym, and it looked like they had a lot of fun. And as I went over there when we were done, I asked my daughter, Addie, I said, Addie, did y'all have fun? She said, yeah, we did. I said, is, is Jesus' birthday party? And she said, it was. I said, how old is he? 
And she just looked at me. I'm glad I was asking the question rather than her asking the question because I don't know. Here's the answer. He, there is no age. Infinity, right? He has literally always existed. There is no beginning. And I've read before that our minds are not made to actually be able to comprehend that. We cannot comprehend something or someone that has no beginning and has no end. But that's Jesus. That's who he is. So what we're told here is that this child will save God's people from their sins because he is God himself. He doesn't look like God, doesn't look like what we would expect him to because, because of his love for us, we're told in John 3.16. Because of his compassion towards us, he left the throne. He left the glory and the perfection of where he was and stepped into our world. He came here to be where we are. He came here to live a similar life to us, except that he never sinned a single time. He was tempted like we are, like we are and have been, but he never succumbed to temptation, not a single time. He lives a perfect life, and then he dies a perfect death. He is the one who was sacrificed in order to take the place for our sins or pay the price for our sins. He's the ransom that makes it so that we can have salvation and freedom and hope. That's who Jesus is. It's why Paul in his letter to the Philippians can say what I, I usually describe as one of my favorite accounts of Jesus' birth in all the scripture. It's, it's not a typical one, but in Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, why can Paul say that? Because it's true. This is God who has left heaven and come here put on human flesh, lived a life like we did, except never gave in to temptation a single time. And this is the rescue plan. It's not the plan that I would have come up with, I'll be honest. If you say, Zach, if God would have said, Zach, how do you think we can rescue everybody? I wouldn't have said, well, God, what if you just leave here and go to earth, and you do everything right that we've done wrong, and then you die in our place, and you take the wrath and the punishment that we deserve, and then you come back to life and overcome death. What if you do that, and now then all of us that believe in you could be saved? It's not the plan that I would have had. It's probably not the plan that you would have had. But it's the perfect plan. And it's the only plan that offers us salvation. Point two, Jesus is God that came to be with us. He left there and came to be with us so that we could leave here and go to be with him. That's the beauty of the Christmas story. Jesus left heaven and came to earth so that when we leave earth, we can go to heaven. It's beautiful. It's simple. Once we comprehend it, once we understand it, but it's also so amazing that we'll never completely comprehend it. But there's one last thing that I want to remind you of. Because it's easy for us to kind of separate like the Christmas story from real life, right? We do that in we do that in our everyday life, right? Because during Christmas you get to take off of school for a couple of weeks, 
Well, that's not normal life. I mean, normally you're not just taking off school for a couple of weeks. And at Christmas, I can ask for things that I would, that if I asked for them the rest of the year, people would look at me like I'm crazy. But I can ask for them at Christmas and they say, well, that's a Christmas list. Right? And I can, it doesn't matter what kind of diet I'm on. I can eat all I want at Christmas. To be clear, that's not true, but we live like that sometimes, right? And, and, and so it's, we seem like Christmas is almost a season when things aren't normal. And I think we do that as we think, all right, so, so yes, Jesus left heaven and came here. And Jesus made it so that I could be reconciled to God. And, and Jesus came because he loves me. But then we go back to real life. And Jesus is in heaven and I'm here and I've got to figure out things on my own. And I've got to do this on my own. And I've got to... I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps, and, and I've got to be a better person on my own. That's not, the, that's not the point. That's missing the point. The point is, he left there and came here in order to offer us a way that we could become new people, that we could become better people, that we could avoid sin, so that we could overcome sin, so that we could forgive when forgiving is hard for us, so that we could love even people that are hard to love. All of that comes with this story. It's not separated from it. It's not, he did that so we can be saved, but now we've got to do everything else on our own. He gets us to heaven, but until then we're on our own. That's not the truth. Because here we see, we've seen the beginning of Matthew, right? The lineage of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. But let me also read to you the end of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And listen to this part. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, he didn't say, I came to be with you, but now I've gone back to heaven and you're on your own. No, he left heaven and came and lived the perfect life and died the perfect death. And he has ascended back to heaven, but he's also with us because that's something else that we miss is that he's God and God is omnipresent. You can't go anywhere that he's not. You couldn't get in a spaceship and fly anywhere that he's not. There's no corner of the universe that God is not fully present. And so he says, yes, I came to be with you to offer you salvation from your sins, but I've also come to be with you and I will continue to be with you. And when you need me, I will be with you. And when life is hard, I will be with you. And when you are hurting and mourning, I will be with you. And when you need to do something that you don't want to do, but the scriptures tell you you need to do, I'll be with you. Because I'm not just God at Christmas. I'm God all the time. And Emmanuel is still with us. And that's point three this morning. Emmanuel is still with us. God has not abandoned us. He has not left us to do life on our own. But brothers and sisters, the promise of Christmas is not that we will be with him one day. It's that we will be with him every day. If you have responded in faith to Jesus Christ. If you have come to the point of recognizing that you are a sinner that needs to be saved. And that that child that was in the manger that day. That carpenter's son is truly the God of all things. The creator of the universe. If you have ever recognized that. If you have ever given lordship of your life over to him. Then there's never a moment that you're without him. And I pray that we recognize that. 
So let me ask you this question. Do you know this king? This one that I'm talking about today. Not some made-up king that you're looking for to come one day. But do you recognize that even though he didn't look like a traditional king, even though Jesus didn't come with the pomp and circumstance that we might have expected, even though he didn't live in a castle, he never even owned a house, do you recognize that he's the king of kings? Do you recognize this morning that he is your only hope? I'm telling you, there's no other rescue plan. If you've ever seen a movie where, where the guys, they come to save and they say, we're waiting for somebody else, they say, listen, nobody else is coming. Nobody else is coming for you. That's what I'm telling you this morning, brothers and sisters. Nobody else is coming for you. Jesus has come for you. He has lived for you. He has died for you. He has come back to life for you. Nobody else is coming. But that's okay because nobody else is needed. He is the perfect rescue plan. Yahweh is salvation. That's what his name means. He's come to be with us. And he's still with us. Do you know him? If you don't, I pray that you would come and let me. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to say, I can't believe you've never become a Christian. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to try and answer questions that you might have. But I also ask you this morning, are you here and you, you know that he is who he says he is, but you still find yourself day in and day out trying to do things on your own that only he can do for you? Have you spent time, even during the Christmas season, trying to make yourself a better person. Now, there's no doubt that there is a discipline to it. There are spiritual disciplines in life, but brothers and sisters, you cannot on your own make yourself a better person. If it's not for the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you will always be the sinful person that you were. If it's not for the saving grace of Jesus, you will always be who you were before Him. If you're trying to forgive and forget if you're trying to love, if you're trying to move on, if you are trying to break a grudge that you have had, if you're trying to reconcile a relationship, if you're trying to have better habits in your life, if you're trying to do all these things on your own, you're going about it the wrong way. Brothers and sisters, God is still with us, and He offers us the ability to do things that we could never do on our own. If you're here this morning, you have questions about that, I would love to show it to you in Scripture. And spend time talking with you about it. But I'm going to invite you to stand. This morning we're going to sing a hymn of response. We're going to sing in the presence of Jehovah. Just a reminder of how great and awesome God is. And how amazing it is to be in His presence. If you need to pray, you can pray where you are. Or if you want somebody to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you. If you have questions, come and ask those questions. But if you are just thankful for who God is and what He's done. Then maybe sing out of excitement and joy in response to him as the praise team leads us in a hymn of invitation. Mm-hmm.